Podcast. The Book of Romans has been called the King of the New Testament Epistles, and for good reason. The letter is all about God and the good news that no matter who we are or what we've done, though we're all sinful and well-deserving of God's judgment, we can be saved from God's wrath simply by trusting in God's Son. We are put right with God through grace, through faith. Salvation is a gift from God. This is the message of Romans. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this incredible book. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts, that we could see the truth that you have for us here now in Romans chapter 6 and this controversial question that arises. We pray that you would help us to put this truth into practice and be blessed in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when we last left off, Paul had just made a very provocative and controversial statement uh, describing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He was saying that it's all about grace, not about being good. And then he said, actually, the reason God gave us the commandments in the first place was to increase our knowledge of our sin. In fact, Because he gave us the Ten Commandments, that actually provoked us to sin more. But he said, no worries. The more we sinned, the more grace was given. And he goes on to say, we're saved by grace. We live by grace. We're forgiven by grace. Grace, grace, grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin, as the hymn writer put it so well. So the question naturally came up. Well, if there's unlimited grace to cover all of our sins, and salvation is not works-based, but is grace-based through faith, why not just keep on sinning? In other words, if everything depends on what God has done, uh, then what does it matter how we live? Well, Paul's going to say it matters a great deal how we live. So here in chapter 6, really, Paul has to answer this question by really telling us, hey, if you really understood what actually happens at conversion, you'd never be entertaining that kind of idea or asking that silly question. So now he's going to address here in Romans chapter 6 the truth that once we come to Christ, we are changed and we no longer have that desire to keep on sinning. Verse 1 of Romans 6, what shall we say then in light of all this grace, grace, grace? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. Hello? Oh, the hello's not in there. It's a, it, you have to look really hard for it there. We die to sin. How can we live, it any, live in it any longer, silly rabbits? Or don't you... Know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death 
In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him, with Christ, we've been united with him. In his death, we're all going to be united with him, certainly. In his resurrection, verse 6, for we know that our old self, sometimes called the old man in King James Version, or the sinful nature, or the carnal nature, all words for the same thing, our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin, the power of sin, the carnal nature, might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him, Paul continues. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he can't die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died once to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God In that same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then at communion, we will read verses 12 and consider them just for communion's sake, the application of the truth that just preceded. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your physical body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body now to him as instruments of goodness, of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master anymore because you're not under law, but you're under God. Grace, And so that's going to be our text, our passage for considerations. Shall we keep on sinning in a, in a continual, habitual lifestyle of sin after we come to know his grace? He says, are you kidding me? There are apparently three things about your conversion that you have missed. Number one. We can't continue in a lifestyle of sin after we've been given the grace of God because we died. We died to sin. Point number one, all right? Verses one through five, note takers. Can we keep on sinning and live as immorally as we had in the past just because we're covered by grace? He says, no, number two, we've been set free from all of that nonsense. We were shackled. We were slaves of sin, but now we're, we're free. The shackles are off. Why would you want the shackles back? That's, verse, that's verses 5 through 11 and the second point. And then the application also kind of dovetails here. Number three says, why can't I, why must I stop sinning? Because I've received grace, he says, because we have a new master. We have a new obligation. We, our lives are under new management, to put it another way. So three solid answers to one silly question. Three foundational truths of Christianity, which will serve for our talking points this morning. Let's dive in. The first truth, Christianity 1A, of what happens to a person when they meet the Lord. Let's focus on verses 1 through 5. 
Point number one, we died to sin. How could we habitually live in something that we died to? That's Paul's point. So let's go to a memorial service, a funeral. You may be asking whose funeral, who died? Hmm. The Bible says you did. You died. Christ wasn't the only one dying on the cross, that somehow God took the believers in this world. He's out of time. He saw his people. He knew who would come to him, and he put them in what's called the second Adam, the do-over man. We had the first Adam. We were all in him. When he died, we were programmed in him somehow. We were, King James, in his loins. And when Adam sinned and became a transgressor, we sinned with him and died with him. We were in him. And then he says, the second man comes not from the earth, the dust of the earth, but from heaven. He's spiritual. He's the God man. And he comes down and he says, do over. We're going to have a new creation. And anybody who comes to me from Adam's race, I am going to make a new race of people, children of God. And he puts believers in Christ. And now, when Christ was on that cross dying for the penalty of sin and sin itself, we were with him. We were in him. We died. We were buried with him. We were raised. We ascended with him. That's why Ephesians chapter 2 can say, we ascended and he, he raised us from the dead and seated us in heavenly places, past tense, because we mystically, mysteriously, spiritually, our souls were wed to Christ 2,000 years ago. We were in him. And when he died, we died to the old life. When he raised, we raised to newness of life. When he ascended and seated on the throne, we were in him, seated with him, already done. Now he says, now, work it out until it's culminated when we see him face to face. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God has done the heavy lifting. And he says, now, my friends, we walk it out. And the first idea here is to understand what happens when Billy Graham said, why don't you get out of your seats right now and come down? And sorry, it's terrible. <laughs> I can really only do New York. That's all I, my accent said. I try to do something else that comes out really weird. When you heard the gospel message, you got up or whatever, you raised your hand, whatever you did, you died. You died. God sees it as a death. And he says, can we just go back to your baptism? Because back in the day when you believed and the Holy Spirit came in your heart, you asked for water. You knew what happened. You felt, wow, something's different. I have a new sensitivity to moral issues. I have a new way of thinking. I feel, I feel something. Something's happened to me. I'm done with that past life. I want to be baptized. And God in his ingenious wisdom gives us a metaphor of what really happened. He says, go back to your baptism. If you want to ask, can I keep living the way I used to live? Because I'm covered by sin. Well, what happened? What happened at your baptism? At your baptism, you said, I died to all of that. It's buried. It's covered over. And I was raised to new lives. So he brings you back to the baptism. You see, 
um, some were hearing the good news, but in a twisted way and letting their sinful minds run wild. If we're saved by grace, God, God will work it all out for good. It's win-win. We get the best of both worlds. Satisfy our craving sinful nature here. Kind of live carelessly. It's a lot easier in some ways to just give way to sin without any fear of forfeiting the life to come. But Jude wrote about these guys. And guess what? It didn't take long for teachers to teach this very thing. Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter. Well, verse 4. He said this, for certain individuals have slipped in secretly among you. And here's what they're teaching. They're ungodly people who, here it is, who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality, and they deny Jesus, our only sovereign and Lord. Here's the teaching right there. We're saved by grace. So I can do kind of whatever I want. And they use the grace of God as a license for moral compromise. Well, it doesn't work that way. Theologians have a phrase for this kind of thinking. It's called cheap grace. All right, cheap grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor and theologian, great smart guy, he wrote a classic book called The Cost of Discipleship. And here's a quote from his book about cheap grace. Cheap grace is the grace that we bestow on ourselves to allow us to sin with immunity. At least that's in our thinking. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, uh, the Christian life without a Lord. It's grace without the cross, his cross and our own cross. He said, pick up your cross, follow me. Deny yourself. Rule one of Christian discipleship, it's the Christian life minus Jesus as master and king living within. Now, one other writer went on to say what costly grace is. Costly grace is this. Biblical grace is Christ ruling over us as king for whose sake a believer would gouge out the eye that would offend in sin and chop off the hand. Costly grace makes us knights in shining armor who would gladly fall on their own sword than to betray the king by defiling themselves in the very foul exploits for that which their savior bled and died. That's costly grace. Let me put it to you this way. A guy walks out of a bar, all right? <laughs> Sadly, it's not a joke. It was a bar in the Tenderloin, and I and two of my friends had Bibles. We had tracts, and we were armed with the gospel of peace. So we engaged him in a conversation, and it went like this. He said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a believer. I've been a believer for more than 10 years. I went to seminary, right? And he said, I'm in a great place now because I'm finally at peace. I'm not so uptight like you fundamentalists. Listen, I enjoy life. I'm not hung up on the sin. Why should I be? Yes, I use drugs socially. I like to party. Not going to lie, love the ladies. He didn't say it quite like that. So I began poking holes, and he interrupted me. He said, number one. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that right? And I said, yes, that's right. He said, God forgives all of our sins, doesn't he? And I said, yes, he does. He said, after we become Christians, does he forgive those sins? And I said, yes, he does. And he said, do you still sin? And I said, yes, I do. He said, are you forgiven? I said, yes, I am. And he said, so am I. And then I said, I wouldn't be too sure about that. Because there's a difference between you and me. I died to my sin. And I was raised to a new life. And the new nature in me is not attracted to sin. It has an aversion to sin. And I may sometimes have a slip up. But then I go to him in confession. And I turn from that which I hate but sometimes I do. There's a difference between me and you. And let me point it out to you in three little scriptures, and I have them here for you. So we are lying, the Bible says, if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness, we're not practicing the truth. You know what I like about the Bible verses? You can just quote it and say, hey, dude, just look up 1 John 1, 6, right? And then you let the word call him out as a liar. Right? I'm not, I'm not calling you a liar. I have nothing against you. I kind of like you, you know? But check out, you know, 1 John 2, 4. If someone claims, I know God. Oh, I went to Moody. I've been a Christian 10 years. I know all of that. I'm justified by grace. He said it. Just like you. If someone claims, I know God. I went to Moody. I have all my theological ducks in a row, but does it obey God's holy commands? There's no moral transformation. There's no new life. There's no shackles free. That person is a liar. Plain and simple and not living in the truth. And then here's the big deal, the kicker. No one who's born of God will continue in sin. And in 1 John The verb tense is continuing in sin. The prostitute uh, remains a prostitute. The sexually immoral guy remains sexually immoral. The liar, he continues to lie. Not just no break. He's not saying that the Christian won't be able to sin because there are other places in the Bible that says when you do sin as a Christian, you go to him and confess and he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we know it's not that we're not unable to sin. It's that we do not continue in the same sinful, dark lifestyle that we once lived in. Because why? Because they can't go on sinning because they've been born of God. Who's in you? What happened? There was a guy at Faith Day yesterday. We all got up. We said, we're going down in the field. And he asked me, where are you going? And I said, we're going down to Faith Day. It's when, and he didn't ask for explanation, but I'm going to offer him one. (laughs) It's when the Christian players tell how they met Jesus and their lives were changed. And he said, you know what? I might come down there and get some religion. And I said, well, I hope you don't get any of that. Because the religious people killed Jesus. Religion is death. It's all about coming to life. It's all about a death 
to the old. Of course, what we say, you know, the old is gone, the new has come. If the new, new has come, something of the old has to go away. So there's a death, there's a burial of that life. He's saying you were united with him in death, and those things are dead and gone and covered over, right? For all intents and purposes, and that's what he wants us to see. It's quite impossible for you to remain uh, a party animal or self-absorbed or a womanizer or greedy or dishonest or a fraud or a habitual liar ad nauseum. Because who's in you? The Holy Spirit. Therefore, if anybody's in Christ, and Christ is in them. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? He's in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Or not. And then the fruit of your lips is saying who's in your heart. The fruit of your life is saying what you truly believe. He's saying, go back to your baptism. It's ever so clear. We were once in Adam. He took us out of Adam. He put us in Christ. And we died. We were buried. The old life, we rose up to this new life. And the new life, being born again, is incompatible with immorality. It's oil and water. You see, a lot of people say, well, I was born this way or whatever. That's that's an excuse today. And I say... Even if it were true that you were born whatever way, guess what? The requirement to get to heaven is that you are born again a second time. So the way you were born, whatever way you were born the first time, is simply irrelevant to the Christian gospel because he doesn't demand that you remodel or change or clean up the old life. He says that life has to die And you have to be born again. And when you're born again, the Spirit of God comes in and raises you up from the dead and puts His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, in you. And now, your behavior must be in sync and equal to Christ. Whoever claims to know Christ must walk as Christ walked. 1 John chapter 2. Why? Because you've died. And Christ came in, and now he's the master, and he's calling the shots. And you better be speaking like Christ would speak, and thinking like Christ would think, and acting as Christ shall act. And of course, this is like one of those charts that goes like this. Of course, two steps forward, three steps back. Of course. But we are all limping together in the right direction, at least. Amen? Amen. 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 So... Verse 5, united with Christ there. United with Christ, as we're moving on now, (laughs) united with Christ is the word to take a branch and to um, graft it into a tree so that sap and that life can go into that branch. That's what he's saying. Verse 5, united with Christ, stay close to him, and you have this new life. And listen, June 3rd, 1979, 19 years old, inside of a barn. My father was uh, preaching the gospel to me. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I wanted nothing to do with that. A few street preachers, but that's it. And I walk in the bars. I've told you the story dozens and dozens of times. 
And I heard a voice in my head that said, and the room got blurry, and I felt like I was going to throw up. I was nauseous. And all I could hear was, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over again, so much so, I began to chant it in my, it was on my lips. Why will I go to hell when I don't have to? Why will I go to hell when I don't have to? My brother saw me. It's underage, both of us in the bar, the disco. <laughs> I got to tell the truth. As ugly as it is. And we walked outside. I knew I'd been changed. I knew not to go back in the barn pursue a lifestyle that was dead. I knew the old Ross was dead, thankfully, on that dance floor. I pictured that. I knew things. I had a different feeling about going back in that bar. I was ashamed of it. I didn't want anything to do with that lifestyle. Nobody had to tell me, now that you're a Christian, you're a believer. Oh, don't go back and don't do this and don't do that. If someone has to tell you, oh, you can't sin once you've met the Lord, you've never met the Lord. Because everybody who's been changed is changed into the kind of person who doesn't want to do those things anymore. Habitually, continually, yes, we have our issues with our old nature, don't we? But we're glad to be done with it. Nobody has to tell you the Bible is really saying, be who you are in Christ. Don't be who you're not anymore. So he goes on here. Let me just kind of um, paraphrase it. You have it in front of you. We've already read it once. You and your old life were crucified with Jesus. The power of sin's broken. So we're no longer slaves. I mean, if you've died, you're done with the struggle of sin, right? <laughs> So he says, 9 and 10, it's summed up this way. Jesus defeated sin, death once and for all. His victory is yours once and for all. And now consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God. So that's the gist of this number two. So you can't go on sinning, one, because you died to all of that way of life. And number two, you can't go on sinning because God set you free from the tyrannical uh, power that dominated you as a sinner. So the, the first problem is this, that the old self, the old man, doesn't desire or see the need to be emancipated from something that serves him so well, which is his sin, something he finds delight in. And that's why it kind of took you a while to come to Christ, because the old man, your old nature, who was in full charge there, knew that they stood to lose something. <laughs> And so they protested very loudly. No, we don't want the gospel because if the gospel comes in, it means I have to make some changes to things I really like. Running my own life. Not having to give an answer to a Lord. You know, think about it. <laughs> a lie that gets you out of the hot seat. Nothing gets you out of trouble like a fat lie. Uh, gossip that goes down like delicious little morsels, cheating that gets you ahead of the game, nursing grudges to deny people acceptance and love, the people you don't like. You get to treat them nasty. You don't have that option. When the Holy Spirit comes in, there's been a death to that, and a new life comes up. Now you have to love your enemies. 
That's not attractive to the old person, the old man, not at all. How about pride? That makes you feel better than everybody else in the room or in morality. That appeases your lust, all of that. The old nature doesn't see living without sin as freedom. The old nature sees that as bondage. And that's why it's speaking through the man when he's coming out of the bar, I want to have my cake and eat it too. Well, the fact that you want the best of both worlds <laughs> evidences that you never truly were biblically converted in the first place. Because God sees slavery as a sin. And he said, the whole point I came to die on the cross is to set you free from sin. And so a lot of people say, well, that's the human condition. I don't see sin as a problem. I'm not a slave to sin. Well, Jesus said this, John chapter 8, very truly I say to you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son or a daughter belongs to the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus says, the purpose I came was to set you free from the very thing that you, sir, coming out of the bar who had been to Moody Bible Institute, you want to go back. You want to put the shackles on when it cost the Savior his life to, from his point of view, set you free from the things that may bring a little bit of temporary pleasure, but in the end are empty and destructive and will hurt you. You want to go back to that because your nature hasn't been changed. So, the gospel, God delighted to offer to us our sin-loving, hell-bound, dying souls a way out by absorbing sin and its penalty there on the cross, offering us new life. And he says, listen, James chapter 1 says, each person, listen to this, is tempted when they're dragged away. Sin comes into a sinner's life and grabs him by the scruff of the throat and says, you come with me. Drags you away, entices you by its evil desire. You're enticed. Then after, you, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, will bring all kinds of death and chaos and destruction. And Jesus says, I've come to set you free. And he or she, whom the son sets free, is free indeed. So anybody who says, but I want to go back to that. I want to keep that which you freed me from. I want to keep it in my life. Here and there, just to help me out, man, when I get in a jam. He's like, ah, oh, something's not quite right. What's wrong with this picture? Cancer patient is pronounced cure. Good news, your PET scan is clean. And he says to the doctor, is there any way I could get a little bit more cancer? Can I, I, I just, I don't want to be through with it completely. That was a good example, illustration. <laughs> because you, you, the, the guy would call for like another kind of doctor for the guy, right? Are you kidding me, right? A bankrupt person is bailed out by a wealthy benefactor. He's been, let's say, $100,000. Credit cards, student loans, cars you shouldn't have bought because you couldn't afford them. And somebody said, you know what? 
I'm going to bail you out. I see you're struggling for years. Oh. And he writes you a check and wipes out all of your debt. And you can't wait to spend more than you make. You can't wait to get back under all of that debt. What's wrong with you? That's what he's saying. He's saying, shall we continue to sin that grace will abound? Wow, it's a humiliating, very logical argument the Holy Spirit makes. You can't go on habitually sinning because you've been set free. Of course, unless, of course, you really haven't. And so here's what he's saying uh, in your text here. Death to the old man, new birth, alive to God. You have a, a new nature. Now, about these same guys, Peter has a comment that I think you'll find interesting. He says, it would have been better for these guys not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turned their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that has been washed returns to wallowing in the mud. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Why does he say that? He says, listen, you can go to Moody. You can be a seminary student and have all your theological ducks all neatly wrong. You can be the best giver in the church, but if you're not morally changed, if you're not transformed, if you didn't die with Christ and buried with Christ and raised with Christ to newness of life and the shackles, the tyrannical dominance of sin broken in your life and you have a new nature, if you don't have any of that, doesn't matter the outward. The sow is a sow. You hosed it off. You went to Moody. You did your thing. You did your Christian thing. And then you, 10 years later, a pastor finds you coming out wallowing in the mud. Because why? You were always that way. You got cleaned up on the outside, but guess what? Your moral behavior, your thoughts, your speech, your deeds, your lifestyle evidences the truth of the condition of your soul. No matter what you say or what's said about you, it matters how you live. And if there's no moral transformation, then the smell of what was, had been regurgitated, you're going to go look for that again because the nature has not been changed. You don't get religion. You don't clean up your acts. You don't turn over a new leaf. You die. And you're raised again from the dead supernaturally. And the breath of God breathes on a dead person. And up comes a new person who doesn't like vomit and doesn't like to wallow in its own filth. Amen? I went to the doctor. And I got my blood pressure done. It was 120 over 70. And he goes, wow. You're in pretty good shape that way, right? I can guarantee you when I preach... My blood pressure is not 120 over 70. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I'm just saying, sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know what I'm saying, people? 
Let me show you. Let me show you a couple pictures. First of an ugly caterpillar. You know where this is going, don't you? Look at that beast. You should have seen. You should see its teeth. I, I spared you from it. And, and it's a blue morpho, right? And, and then it goes around. It likes the dirt. It's usually in the dirt. It eats everything. It has no discernment. It just eats and eats. And you should see the mouth. It's just jumping all the time. It doesn't care what it is. It doesn't distinguish, you know? It just wants to eat all the time. It's nasty, right? But then something happens, and it goes into what looks like a tomb. It looks like a grave. It goes into this tomb. And out from the tomb, as you well know, comes this guy. Now, this guy never says, you know, can I go back to the ground? <laughs> you know, I got to get from here all the way over there, and I just want to crawl. It may take 10 years to get there. <laughs> because they got to crawl like a worm in the dirt, jumping on anything I can find, right? This guy, he says, are you kidding me? I take to the skies now. I'm not ugly. I'm a thing of beauty, and I don't eat stuff on the ground. I drink the sweet nectar of flowers. In fact, He's not even equipped to chomp anymore. He gave the, the chomper thing. It's gone. He's got two little things that he just inserts like a gas bomb. <laughs> it's really sweet. He couldn't chomp if he wanted to chomp, you know? That's to deal with a new nature. Were you changed or not? Now, you know, you're just going to say, yes, I was changed, but I still got a, like a little chomper in there. There's, <laughs> there's something in there that says, hey, get out of the dirt and start chomping, you know? Yeah. All of chapter 7 is going to be about how to deal with coming out of Adam and still having a little Adam left. He's disarmed. We're dead to him. Oh, catch this. We died to sin, but sin didn't die to us. That's very clear in the Bible. We can say no to it, but it always says yes. Oh, it's always there, crouched at the door of your heart, just waiting like Cain's heart. Just come on, man. <laughs> give me the cue. Give me the cue. Tell me to pounce. I'll pounce. I'm here for you, man. You get in a jam. Hey. Wouldn't a lie work right now? Oh, look at her. She doesn't have four of your babies at home with dirty diapers and all of that. And she complimented you. She just said, are you working out? <laughs> what does your wife say when you get home? She says, could you help me with the dishes? <laughs> Take a look at her, and that's a little chomper, the chomper. So we're going to learn how to deal with that. But if you have a new nature, he says, consider yourself. We can go back to the verses. Look at how he's closing up. In the same way, count yourself dead, but alive, dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Let me give you an example of how dangerous it is to hang out 
with the old nature because the old nature's under the water. You can't really see it. You're not supposed to see it, but it's there. It's there. It makes itself known. Three illustrations because Christ has really disarmed it. But these are, I call them killer illustrations because you'll see why. <laughs> Number one, older televisions. A 16-year-old kid in Oklahoma was working on a computer. He unplugged it, digging around in the back. He was electrocuted to death. Why? Because certain capacitors, they carry the charge still. He died. He said, but I, his mom, he unplugged it. It was unplugged. Number two killer illustration, a Texas man came upon a rattlesnake Six-footer, deadly, in his yard. He decapitated it with a shovel. He went to dispose of the pieces, and he reached down, and it bit him, and he almost died. Killer illustration number three. Last week... In the news, you probably read it, San Bernardino Mountains, a hunter shot his bow and arrow into a 300-pound bear. It was a lethal shot. The bear was down a long time. The man jumped out of his perch. I just read this last week. Went to collect the prize, and the bear rallied its last dying breath and mauled him to a critical condition in the hospital. The Bible says, yes, it's dead. It's unplugged. It's decapitated. It's shot in the heart with an arrow from heaven. But don't mess with it. Don't go near it. Now, the three Ps they taught me in seminary, that God and the gospel, Christ saves us from the penalty of sin. The power of sin, he's unplugged it, but not the presence yet. The presence, when you see him face to face, we will be incapable of sinning because we'll be finally, what the Holy Spirit has started in us, will be finally finished. So you may be walking around, the trumpet sounds, and we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That new body that resembles his glorious body, Philippians chapter 3, it cannot sin. It will not even rem remember the former things that are corrupt and defiled. But until then, he says, it's, it's unplugged, it's decapitated, it's been shot through the heart. Now, what I want you to do is consider yourself dead to it. So when it goes, you know what you need to do right now? You, you know what? If you're dead to something, you really can't hear it. Can you? I, listen, I've been around dead bodies for 40 years because that's part of my job. I've never been able to get a response out of one of them. <laughs> I never have. I've never seen me say something like, whoa, wow. I say something and they say, you know what? You should have seen me when I was 19. No, they didn't. They don't. They don't talk back. So he says, could you just play dead? Because if he, God says, I promise you, if you play dead, I'll give you the power right behind that. 
because it doesn't have its power to do it. You give it power. You employ the tongue. Here's the last closing word. So why don't we start with communion? The closing words, he says, therefore, I'll let them get settled here. Therefore, therefore, since you've been unplugged, it's been decapitated. The arrow's gone through the heart, he says, for all intents and purposes, it's dead. You're dead to it. So don't let it reign in your physical body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer. See, who's got the last say? You know, your sin nature does not take out a gun and force you. You know what? You're going to die right here if you don't know. No, 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 no. You have the last say. And God says, I will always, with every temptation, not allow you to be tempted beyond what you could bear. But with the temptation, I will always provide a way of escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. So if you say no, God will say, he said no. Now, boom, done. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin your tongue tear people apart that you love and that other people love. You spread things that you should not be talking about. Dishonesty, don't offer your, your tongue to your eyes. Gentlemen, your eyes. Christ is in you. Be like Job who said, I'm not going to put anything that defiles my soul in front of my eyes. Gentlemen, Gentlemen, I call on you. Do not offer your eyes. Avert them. And other parts, your whole body, to do the wrong thing, but offer them because you <laughs> there it is again. He raised you from the dead, man. You got a new life in there. And offer your body now to the power and influence of the new nature, the new life, the new landlord. God, for sin shall not be your master. Who's your master? Who's your daddy? Sin or heavenly father, amen? Because you're not under law, but under grace. Does it just really come down to choosing for the Christian who's got the power and the new nature? It comes down to a choice. I don't know about you, how God works with you, but every time I'm about to do something stupid or say something stupid, he taps me every single time I'm about to, or I'll, I'll start down a row like, we shouldn't be talking about that. And I'll get this little like, yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo, Holy Spirit here, hello, you know? And, and you have a choice. Either you're gonna listen and obey and him supply the power for you to avert sinning because sin's no longer your master. God is. You've got the choice. Well, why can't I just simply obey? I've got a great answer for that. Come next Sunday. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, this is, this is where we live. We're all reeling because we've all got... Most of us are out of Adam, and we're in Christ. We're in you, Lord, and you're in us, and we're dead. We died to sin. We've been raised up. 
But we struggle with that old man. So teach us, God. Remind us to be who we are, not who we're not. Thank you for the blood, the broken body, your death, and our death with you. We thank you as we begin our time of communion in Christ's name. Amen. A lot to think about as you're being served. You'll be served. The cup and the bread are together, so you have to dissemble them. Right? And so we're remembering what it cost us to have free salvation was the death of Jesus on the cross for all of those sins. I wouldn't want to add another one to his list that he had to die to, right? And so you're going to be served if you're a born-again believer. Please uh, participate in communion with us. If, you're, if you don't belong to the church uh, proper to the rock, but you still know the Lord... Not like the dude in the story, but you really know the Lord. Then you are invited to share communion with us. If you're uncomfortable for any reason, uh, you don't. You simply decline being served, and that's fine. Now, let's say you're sitting here and you're like, "Wow, I kind of get it. I mean, I haven't lived as a Christian, but I want. I want. I'm drawn. I want to surrender my life to Him. Uh, say the prayer. Say the prayer. God, I'm sorry." Save me. I'm a sinner. I need you. I give you my life. Done. Then you can take communion because then it means something. Until you have that exchange and you surrender and the Holy Spirit comes in and changes you. Uh, This, or baptism for that matter, nothing matters until it happens on the inside. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.